The semiconductor chip shortage, what's causing it, why it matters, and what we need to do about it. That's the focus of our conversation today. Hello, everyone. I'm Chitra Raghavan, and this is Techtopia. Joining me is John Neufer. He's president and CEO of the Washington, D.C.-based Semiconductor Industry Association. Neufer is responsible for setting and leading the public policy agenda and serves as the primary advocate for maintaining U.S. leadership in semiconductor design, manufacturing, and research. John, welcome to Techtopia. Hi, Chitra. Great to be here. So I think we all have this vague understanding that all electronics are getting smaller and more portable, but I don't think we have a grasp of just how small and portable the underlying semiconductor chips are. For the lay audience, can you explain in simple terms what semiconductor chips are and how they've evolved over the decades in their size and scope and scale of applications and importance? Well, most semiconductors are made uh, from silicon and, and silicon comes from sand. And people don't realize that silicon is actually the second most abundant element in the Earth's crust, only after oxygen. So why are they called semiconductors and not just conductors? And that's because they conduct electricity sometimes and sometimes they don't. So in that regard, there's, there's kind of three types of materials. There's materials that conduct electricity like metal. There's materials that are insulators. They don't conduct electricity, that's like glass. And there's semiconductors and they can do both. Whether they can conduct or insulate is controlled uh, by the use of electric fields. And that's how you create your transistors, your on and off switches. So that's, that's essentially what a semiconductor is. There's actually very little kind of general knowledge of, of what these things are and really kind of how, how powerful they are. So you've been in this industry for a long time. What's the thing that surprised you the most when you first started learning about chips? And, and what's the thing that surprises you most now? So it's an awesome technology. Um, in the last 60 years, there's just been an amazing pace of innovation. It's probably the most innovative industry in the world. So the chips, the transistors on the chips have gotten amazingly small. Uh, the chip manufacturers are now manipulating materials at atomic levels to make, make these transistors so small. The most uh, packed chips now, uh, the highest end chip has 54 billion transistors on one chip. That's 54 billion on off switches on one chip. And that's basically the size of a quarter. So the other thing that's really happened is that chips have gotten amazingly cheap. Um, if space travel had come down in price as much as transistors have, the Apollo 11 mission, which cost $350 million in 1969 dollars and put Neil Armstrong on the moon, well, that would have cost as much as a latte. And so that has driven computing power to just soaring high chitra. Some of the world's best computers in 1985 would take four and a half hours to process what the best chips now can process in one second. So it's just been an amazing pace of innovation. That, that, I think that's, that, that's a, a defining feature of, of the semiconductor industry. That's absolutely incredible. Do you have like a favorite chip story that sort of encapsulates where we are today with this uh, evolution? Well, I don't know if I have a favorite story, but I think it's kind of amazing uh, what chips have brought to our lives. So because of this innovation, because of the power of the chip and the miniaturization of the chip, 
you know, we we have computers as wristwatches now. We have tiny pacemakers in hearts that can communicate with patients and doctors. We have cell phones with five cameras. So it just uh, chips are ubiquitous. They're medical imaging devices. They control electric grids. They power navigation systems for our planes. They provide the guts of 5G communications. Semiconductors are really the greatest innovation of the past century. Without chips, you simply don't have an information age. Without chips, we simply don't have AI, um, IoT, quantum computing. Everything that's kind of important for our future is being driven by innovation in the chip sector. Now, everything about the size and what you can pack into a chip is has been sort of predicated or even predicted by something called Moore's Law. Can you sort of describe what Moore's Law is and whether it still holds true and why it matters in this context? Yeah, so Moore's Law basically uh, postulates that it was it was uh, devised by Gordon Moore uh, over 50 years ago, one of the founders of Intel. And he said, listen, we should be able to uh, double the number of transistors on a chip every couple of years. And uh, for the last 50 years, about every 10 or 15 years, there's predictions that uh, Moore's law will reach physical limits and we're just not gonna be able to keep that, that pace up. And every time there's these dire warnings that we won't be able to keep the pace up, keep miniaturizing the transistors, keep driving, which has been a chief driving force for semiconductor innovation, there's breakthroughs and Moore's law has marched forward. I will say though, that we are now as an industry really facing some physical limits and Moore's law is slowing and um, innovation is gonna be driven by other things, by architecture, design uh, and materials. I'm confident that innovation will proceed apace in the sector. It's just not gonna be as much about what they call scaling, which is, miniaturization of the transistors on the chips. So the global semiconductor market size was like around 500 billion, I think in 2019, and is projected to reach about 726 billion by 2027. What's attributing to the growth of this market? So you've done your homework, Chitra. Those are, those are, those are pretty ac accurate projections. It, it's, really, it's really all being driven by, uh, by our, our digital economy, by our information age. AI is a big driving force, autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, IoT, the cell phones that we all have, uh, the, the Zoom calls that we can do now. This is all just, a these are major driving forces for uh, growth in the semiconductor industry. And it's a, it's, a, it's a great industry to be in right now. Very exciting industry, tons of innovation, uh, a lot of challenges. Uh, but the future is is very promising for the semiconductor industry, given all these um, demands for the chips. And I should also point out that 5G, 6G communications, all, all all driving innovation in the semiconductor industry, and 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 leading everyone to believe that it's a very promising future. And then, of course, you had uh, COVID nineteen sort of descend on the world, and that's resulted in this massive disruption not not just of the semiconductor supply chain, but all kinds of supply chain. And the chip industry is obviously no exception. 
And obviously, you know, you recently had the cold spell in Texas uh, where there are a couple of chip factories and that hasn't helped either. So what has been the impact of all of these crises on, on the industry and on all of the industry's uh, chip support? Yeah, so I think the the biggest moment for us as an industry uh, has been that the p- pandemic crisis that swept the world really put into bold relief um, that we need to uh, remedy some of our supply chain vulnerabilities. And when I say that, I mean that um, a lot of our chips, about 75% of our chips are, are made in Asia. That's a big change in the last few decades. Uh, in 1990, we manufactured about 37% of the world's chips right here on U.S. shores. That's now down to 12%. And like with medical equipment and pharmaceuticals, where people started thinking about supply chain security and, and resilience, uh, people around the world in Washington are thinking about, well, what's that mean for semiconductors? And I think there's there's a real effort now to think about rebalancing our supply chain so that more of our manufacturing is going to happen uh, here in the U.S. The, the reality is that we just don't manufacture uh, enough chips here in the U.S., and we need to we need we need to remedy that. And it's also a, a geopolitical consideration, isn't it? Given that so much of the chip manufacturing happens in China and Taiwan, and with our you know trade tensions with China in particular, and with Taiwan's trade tensions and other political tensions with China. It seems like there's a lot more at stake than just um, the economy. Yeah, an awful lot of chips are produced in um, in Taiwan. That's for sure. Something like uh, 20% of the global chips, uh, global supply for chips, come out of Taiwan. But it's it's not actually accurate to say that a lot of chips are produced in China. China is still a, a fairly nascent market um, for our industry. Uh, the real importance. Uh, China is its market as a consumer. It's our largest consumer. Uh, we actually, as an industry, don't produce much in China. We There's only a couple of fabs, those are semiconductor manufacturing facilities that are US owned in China. We, we produce a lot of chips here. We, we, we produce chips in places like Taiwan, uh, Israel, but not, not, not actually much in China. That's interesting. Um, and so one of the things that I was really interested in reading was the impact this has had on the automotive industry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, it, it's been a it's been a rather jarring year for everybody because of the pandemic. Uh, for the auto industry, Q1, Q2 was was very rough. Auto sales dropped just precipitously. Not surprising, the auto industry started canceling its chip orders, and so chip orders collapsed for auto grade semiconductors. So that, that, that all was kind of predictable, uh, but what was not predictable is that the auto industry came roaring back, uh, partly driven by China coming back online much quicker than everyone else, but generally the auto, auto industry came back, uh, folks sitting at home thinking, you know, I've got a little bit of extra money that I've, I've not been spending um, on my commuting, I, I might as well go out and buy a car. And so, so, the problem is, is that auto industry is very, uh, very efficient and very focused on this just-in-time delivery of goods for its, from its supply chain. The chip industry is a little different because it takes about, it can take up to 26 weeks to manufacture a chip. So the supply chain is long and that doesn't 
when the auto industry turned on again, third and fourth quarter last year, um, and they started ordering chips again, well, they, they couldn't get them right away because it takes so long to produce them. The other thing that happened is it's not just the auto industry that's, that's, that's suffering chip shortages, although the auto industry is suffering the most acute. There's tightening throughout the whole industry, all across the industry. And that's been driven by um, demand for products to address and to, to help us uh, learn remotely and work remotely and for respirator machines. So there's just been an explosion in the demand for chips in the last year. And, and the auto industry has just been the one that's kind of, kind of got taken at the worst. I was fascinated to read uh, about this kind of caste system in chip manufacturing and consumption that automakers use chips that are older and are a lower priority for chip makers because they are making these new, better, more sophisticated chips for 5G smartphones and video games and all these other things. And so uh, there's a bigger profit margin for making these higher end chips. Uh, is that true that, that there is sort of this thing that's also exacerbating the problem for automakers? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't characterize it like that, Chitra. It's def definitely not a caste system. The, the auto industry is very important to the semiconductor industry, that's for sure. There, there's no doubt about it that uh, the way the auto industry works and the way chips take a long time to be certified for autos, the auto industry tends to use lagging edge uh, technologies, for uh, chip technologies, that's for sure. And those ones you're right, don't have the same margins as, as feeding edge technologies, logic chips that go into data banks and things like that. But I, I can assure you the industry, auto industry is viewed as very important by the chip industry. And, I, and I'll tell you, I, having talked to a lot of leadership in the, in, in, in the chip industry about this, uh, we are working tirelessly to help uh, unkink the supply chains to get this this worked out for the auto industry. But the reality is that the big problem is it just takes a long time to get the chips made and out, out the door to the auto companies, like I said, up to 26 weeks. And, and that's the essence of the problem. So we're just playing catch up and we're doing as much as we can to help the auto companies and, and, and get out of this bind. So what can we do? Uh, what are some of the things you are recommending? Yeah, so... So in the short term, it's all of our companies working around the clock uh, to produce as many chips as we can. Right now, we're at uh, near full capacity and companies are going very quickly to full capacity. At that, But that process itself even takes time, even more time. So in the short run, that's what we're going to do and that's what we're doing and, and we'll get through this. But I think in the longer run, Chetra and I mentioned it earlier, you know, there's a Boston Consulting Group projected that in the next 10 years, we're going to have a 56% increase in chip demand. So that means we just need around the world a lot more capacity to build uh, chips. Right now, uh, about 80% of the chips are being built in, in Asia. And what we're trying to, trying to do is get the U.S. government focused on helping provide manufacturing uh, incentives to make more uh, chip production here in the US. Um, the question is, do we want all these chips to be made here in the US or do we want, do we want them to be made, made overseas? And the reason why there needs to be manufacturing incentives, Chetra, is that when it, you know, semiconductor industry is a market-driven, fiercely competitive industry. But when it comes to 
building these multi-billion dollar fabs to leading edge fabs up to $20 billion. That's like a nuclear aircraft carrier price tag. Yeah, countries overseas, Chitra, provide massive multi-billion dollar incentives to, to lure companies to build their fabs there. Our federal government is not in that business. So as a result, I mentioned the statistic earlier, where uh, 1990, we were building about 37% of the world's chips. Now we're building about 12%. And that's because we're not in a, in a free market when it comes to uh, building manufacturing facilities or, or fabs. So the US government needs to step in and, and help incentivize that. Other governments are not gonna change their practices. So we're, we're kind of standing here on the start line, uh, looking down the field as all of our competitors overseas are kind of halfway down the field. And we're saying, uh, gee, uh, maybe we should get, get, get going here. And so that's something that, that we're focused very heavily on here in Washington. Well, you've got a new administration in place. Um, have you had a chance to speak with the Biden administration? And, and what are some of the things they're doing to address this critical shortage? Yeah, so we've had a lot of conversation with folks in the Biden administration, and, and I think they are wisely kind of focused on the long, long game here. And um, President Biden, just last week, when he was rolling out an executive order to review supply chains, including supply chains for semiconductors, he supported a multi-billion dollar effort to incentivize chip manufacturing. In, in the US and we were very, very happy that he displayed one of these beautiful chips. He held it up and said, these are important to the American economy and American national security. So, you know, we feel, we feel optimistic and encouraged with the direction of the Biden administration and uh, look forward to working with folks uh, on, on the Biden team to, to address some of these challenges. Looking at how the chip has changed our society, uh, global societies over the decades, how do you see uh, these changes evolving in the next five, 10, 20 years and, and the chip evolving with it? And, and how is it gonna transform our lives? Wow, you know, I'm not much of a futurologist, Chitra, but if you look at the trajectory of change uh, that has been driven by the chip, the sky is, is the limit. Um, I was just, I mentioned to the, this to you earlier, Chitra, but I was talking to my daughter the other day. She said, you know, you know, dad, it's, it's very hard. And she's, she's in her twenties. It's very hard to be amazed uh, by innovations these days because they come so fast and they come so big. I, I mentioned that, you know, Neil Armstrong land, landed on the moon in 1969. That was a big deal for me. But, but I totally get her point. The, the age of the internet um, started in the 90s and here we are uh, 30 years later, so evolved in, in this, in, with the social media and, and the broadband and the connectivity. I just think that we're gonna see some amazing things with, with electric cars, the sky's the limit. And do you think the shortage will be addressed um, over time? So uh, in the short term, I'm confident that, that we'll, we'll get this, this problem tackled. By the end of last year, our shipments to the auto companies were already above our shipments to the auto companies the previous year. So we're cycling up and we'll, and we'll get this short-term problem fixed. 
And I'm, I'm confident that um, working with the USG will get incentives in place, whether they're, they're grants or whether they're um, investment tax credits, tax incentives, that will 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 get this this longer term problem elect as, as well. I mean, it, it's just um, a kind of failure is not an option. The 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 stakes are very high. I I think people in Washington, whether it's in the Biden administration or on the Hill, recognize that there's a lot of bipartisan support, which is kind of rare these days in Washington, to help incentivize manufacturing in the U.S. So I, 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 do feel, uh, I do feel optimistic, both for the, the short-term issue, which is a difficult one uh, for, the, for the car companies. It's fair, it's a really tough issue, we get that, but I'm confident we'll get through this. Um, and then, then, then we'll go on and tackle the long-term challenge as well to get more, more manufacturing here, more manufacturing generally for, for chips here um, to address the, the massive explosion in chip, chip demand uh, coming at us. That's great. Do you have any closing thoughts or any closing stories on the role of the chip in your in your life? The thing that really uh, comes to mind for me is that most people just don't really appreciate how powerful semiconductor innovation has been in their lives. And so I'm glad you had me on today, Chitra. And the thing for, for us is we spent a lot of time kind of educating folks about the power of the chip. The problem with the chip, Chitra, is that it's in everything, but no one can see it, no one can touch it, no one knows what it really is. And so I, I think we're, we're just going to have a lot of work to do to beat, to, to beat the drum on it, uh, educating folks about how important these chips are and, and, and how important it is to keep the U.S., which controls about half of the global chip market, to keep it at the tip of the innovation sphere in semiconductor technology. Yeah, it's really one of the most uh, powerful invisible forces in our lives and in society today. It's, in my view, and not, and not being an electrical engineer, Chitra, it's magic. What happens with silicon and these, these billions and billions of transistors on these chips, it just boggles the mind. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for this fascinating conversation. Well, thank you, Chitra. This has been great. John Neufer is the president and CEO of the Washington, D.C.-based Semiconductor Industry Association. Prior to joining the association, John served as senior vice president for global policy at the Information Technology Industry Council. And prior to that, he served for more than seven years at the United States Trade Representative's Office, USTR. This is Techtopia. I'm Chitra Raghavan. Techtopia is a podcast from Good Story, an advisory firm helping technology startups with brand strategy, positioning, and narrative. Our producer is Jeremy Kaur, founder and CEO of Executive Podcasting Solutions, with production assistance from Kate Cruz. Our creative advisor is Adi Weinland, and our research and logistics lead is Sarah Muller. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And if you like the show, please rate it five stars, leave a review, and do recommend it to your friends, family, and colleagues. For questions, comments, and transcripts, please visit our website at goodstory.io or send us an email at podcast at goodstory.io. Join us next week for another episode of Techtopia. I'll see you then.